0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before getting into the Trinity Sunday stuff, I want to make a comment about this Matthew text, these last verses of the end of the Gospel of Matthew. We read before, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Writers that I have read have very carefully pointed out that the word some, meaning some doubted, and the word him, worship him, are not in the original text. They are part of what has been added so that the English makes sense, I suppose. But the text could just as well have read, not when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, but the text could just as well have read, they worshipped and they doubted. And even the word worship may be too strong. It really has the sense of reverence, sort of bowing for rather than a formal service of worship. And doubt really doesn't mean disbelief Waver, hesitate, vacillate. So maybe rather than reading, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. At the end of a whole gospel story, at the time finally of the big scene of Jesus again, at the end of the story, the point may be that they saw Jesus and experienced both reverence and vacillation, hesitation, but being sort of led to worship. Now that rings true to me, this reverence, yet vacillation, hesitation. I understand that. Maybe that could be a good theme. Hesitate, if you will, but still worship. With that in mind, let's go into Trinity Sunday stuff. For years now, the church calendar has given the first Sunday after Pentecost the name of the Holy Trinity, <clears throat> a time to talk about God, I suppose. Or better, talk about our talk about God. The kind of pause someone has suggested that we need It is as if the stories of Jesus from the Advent season through Pentecost have presented questions to us. And Trinity Sunday is the pause to kind of resolve these questions. If During the early Sundays of the church year, we affirm all the things about Jesus in the spirit that we find in the stories of Advent, in the stories of Christmas, the Lenten account, the stories of Easter, the story of the Resurrection, if we affirm all those things about Jesus and the Spirit, to be telling us something important, what are we then also just saying about God? How does God relate to this world? How does Jesus relate to God and who? Who is this Holy Spirit? In the Church's answer, over centuries of arguments, actually, the activities of God have been divided into three parts that we may recognize, creation, redemption, and we don't really have a good word, but the word we often use is sanctification, the work of the Spirit becoming holy in us. Three parts, creation, redemption, and sanctification. And each of these activities of God is its own story. And each of these activities of God is sort of designated to one of the three persons. We have three articles of the Creed, for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Church has organized its thought around those three, and I suppose organized well but perhaps not always explained well. But I think explained as best we could. But then my questions arise. Do we end up teaching that how it is organized is the thing to be believed? Teach the organization is the thing to be believed and taught. Rather than teach and nurture faith as a kind of discovery on your own, which you may organize as it makes sense to you. my continuing questions is how much of our thinking of God is our own construction? We build a kind of house of thought and we live in it. It is not the only house in town. And it may not be the best house, but it is ours. When we talk about God, though, in the house of our thinking, we often continue to say what we say even when what we say doesn't really say what we want it to say, and that's fun to say. (laughs) When we talk about God, we continue to say what we say even when what we say doesn't really say what we want to say. But it is the best that we can do. (laughs) There is a history here, of course the history of people, indeed, trying their best. It is a history of the development of doctrine, of creeds, of the canon, of the holy scriptures. It is a history of naming errors and, if you will, identifying heresies, wrong thinking, and a history of claiming authority. And all of this history done by church authority with long and protracted reasoning filled with precise and vigorously debated terminology. It's a history of church councils, drafts of trees, rewrites, arguments, condemnations. It's a history of a movement in the early years, the third and fourth century, when the church was gaining a legitimate place in the empire, growing into kind of a power. And with that power in the place, then defining what's in and what's out, and defining God with words of those days, Defining God with words and concepts of those days, such as in our English language, person and essence and substance, and in that forming a tradition out of the logic and scripture and experience of their time. And the questions were what is the essential unity of God? Is it strictly monotheistic? And that's an invented word. And monotheism is monotheism supposed to be like another good word here, monarchism, which means like a king, meaning God is holy, other, removed, absolute, untouchable. And the debate's were, is God best defined by these logics of philosophy. And then, as the things about Jesus became more clear, the question became: Does God change? Because of Jesus? With Jesus, the concern was that there be complete humanity, yet essential divinity. And the words that we've been handed down say, the Son is begotten, not made, but one substance substance with the Father. What does begotten mean? How was begotten different from made? And one substance for the Father? We're talking about two persons and one substance? Yes, they were. <coughs> Some of the questions were where was God the Son? Before God the Son became incarnate in Jesus, was there a God the Son? before God the Son became incarnate in Jesus. And how, by the way, does the Incarnation work? Is Jesus best understood as a kind of God-man? That is common in so many cultures. And then there's always a third one, the Spirit. And the argument was that that should have the same divinity and then the argument came: Well, does the Spirit come from the Father, or does it come from the Son? Does it come from the Father and the Son? From the Father, but not the Son. That's the Enough. Enough. I want to ground us a little bit more today. To ground us a little bit more in our own experience of worship. And if I will be referring to the hymn that we sang and the hymns that we will sing, just ever so briefly. The first gathering song that we sang, Holy God, we praise your name, it's a good tune, good song. We sang it with enthusiasm and pleasure. That's part of our tradition. But this language is in that hymn. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, three in one we name you. Lo, in essence, only one. undivided. God, we claim you. And adoring, feminine while we own the mystery. That's okay. Sing it as a song of praise. Questions may come, but right now, sing it as a song of praise. Or the second hymn that we will sing, following the sermon, is one I have come to just love. Holy God, holy and glorious. It's a quieter song. It's a quieter, reflective song that expresses wonder and surprise, if you will, at what we have come to recognize that God might be. The song begins in this language with typical Holy God, Holy God, holy and glorious, glory most sublime. But then, but you come among us into human time. In a net, we see verse goes, Holy God, Holy God, powerful, power without fear. But it goes on, yet you bend to us in weakness, empty you draw near. In the in the we behold power. Or another verse Holy God, holy, the only wise, wisdom, wisdom at great price. Yet, yeah. it goes on, you choose the way of Father, God crucified. And in that wisdom, we see your glory. Holy God, holy God, living one, life without end. Yet, yeah. You show your love by dying, dying for your friends. And in that we see your life, we see your living. The Psalm of Moshe, expressing in wonderful poetry the tradition that just wants to express it in a song. Or finally, our closing hymn for the day is kind of an invitation to a dance. Live in the spirit and move a little bit. Dance of the Trinity, before all the worlds began, the interweaving, all that traditional language is there, but it's an invitation to move with joy, not at this point, you wrap your brain trying to understand, but take it and let it move your life. With joy and excitement and faith. We hope this would be enough. And have our community have song and prayer that moves us. Why bother with more? The what may using the creativity of the poets and of the hymn writer. But thoughts do come, don't they? And questions do come, they always will. But maybe that means there's room for our own way of believing and understanding. Our own way both of worshiping and wavering if we're asked to explain. And each of us may have our own heresy. My heresy is probably officially called modalism. I want you to know that it's a historical term. Basically, it means that the structure and the concepts that we use are our making as we try to grasp and name and teach what God is by how we experience God. But let's have our own thinking. And let that lead us to conversation. Conversation may first be about ideas, challenging ideas. But then as it deepens conversation, then turns into the experience of a relationship. And conversation in that kind of a relation can become a practice and experience of the presence of God. Being moved by God's Spirit to speak and to grow, seeing Christ in one another and living in that compassion, or the presence of God simply by being in touch With our own limited space in God's holy and large creation. So we talk about Trinity on Trinity Sunday. We talk about our talk about God. But we yet could ask why talk about Trinity in a day when people are hurting? People are hurting by disease, by fires, by floods. People are hurting always by violence. People are hurting because there are bills to pay. People are hurting because there's loneliness and always for some personal struggle. Why talk about the Trinity with all of that going? I think we dare to talk of a God this way only if it helps us live in this world as it is. Live in this world with hope and belief, courage, What's it like to do this? you remember that passage about they saw, they worshiped, but some doubted? It's very possible, perhaps better, to be they worshiped and they waited. They reverenced and yet they hesitated. How can you? But the word goes on a little bit. They referenced, and they hesitated. And the word goes on. And then the Jesus that they saw said, go. Go, therefore, make disciples. The disciples is learners. Go, make learners. Go, make learners. Immerse them in this holy name, and teach them everything. But above all, remember, I am with you. yet hesitate, but go and make learners. Worship and waver, hesitate, reverence, learn, all in the presence of God. That sounds very honest to me. And if you will, it sounds like the life of a congregation. God bless us all.